We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? The final week of the season is here. We are gearing up for the playoffs. Hopefully, hopefully, we're gearing up for the playoffs. Um, I can't believe the season went by that fast. Scott, what's going on? Yeah, it did go by fast. I think when we're talking about it every day, every week, too, uh, you know, on a show, which, you know, it's pretty cool that we've done this the entire show. I'm, uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that you and I finally got this uh, the show going and that we were able to, to, to talk about them and rant. And I think a lot of things have come to light more in my head because we actually talk about it every single week. 
things that would have gone away and, uh, and and just left my brain have have definitely stuck in there and made me more angry, I guess. <laughs> and I think you've helped my anger. You've helped my excel my anger. Oh, that's um, very nice of you. Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem, no problem. Um, but yeah, good weekend uh, overall. You know, in general, I guess there was a. I had a bad. I actually had a bad sports weekend uh, for my personal teams. Um, besides the Yankees, uh, you know, winning a couple of games, but. The football was just a disaster for me. Yeah, so. I mean, are you a little upset that it took three weeks for the Patriots to clinch the uh, AFC East? <laughs> That's funny. That's cute. It really is. It's adorable. Um, yeah, so I, they probably did. <laughs> it's just, that's what's so no, sick about I this. I mean, I'm saying it sarcastically, but at the same time, the the Jets, I mean, they looked legit the first two games. I mean, their defense was the best in the league, causing turnovers, everything. They could have made a statement. I mean, the Eagles were struggling. They were 0-2. The Jets really could have made a statement. We're going It wasn't their defense that was bad last day. If you watch the game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It had nothing to do with their defense. The team as a whole, Brandon Marshall makes quite Brandon possibly Marshall was ridiculous. the worst play in NFL history. You know, I was trying to think. You're reading a headline. I saw my other Patriots fan sent me that same damn article. No, I know it, it, I'm not reading a headline. I was trying to think what the equivalent of that play could have been in baseball. And, and like the only thing I could come up with is... If some player on his own tried to bunt with a 3-0 count and two outs and the base is loaded in, in like the bottom of the ninth inning. Like that's the only thing. It's just the absolute worst play. He was down. There were three defenders around him. He tried to lateral the ball. And that's exactly why the Jets are the Jets and are not going to win the division. Okay, that is why the Jets are the Jets. I will give you that. Because Brandon Marshall hadn't made a jet play yet, like a real jet play. So that was his jet play. He got it over with. Fine. But the, the, you're talking about the defense, too. The defense actually played pretty well. Um, they were on the field a, a lot. The special teams let them down on a, a kick return. Um, and then the offense just could not get anything going. Fitzpatrick was was underthrowing guys all day long. So, yeah, as, as a whole, it was, uh, it was a game that they, they probably should have had. But at the same time, you tell me that we're playing um, the, the Browns, the Eagles uh, and the Colts, and we're two everything. and one. Oh, I'll take it all day long because I thought we were definitely going to be one and two. When you're looking at that schedule, that's a one and two. But well, you got to look at the situation that actually happened. Yeah, you, but that's not what we do. Okay, so stop trying to act like you're. You can't. You can't put your mind in a Jets fan's mind. Where we 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 act differently. I knew going into this game that we were three point favorites. Something was going on. It's not right that we were three point favorites. It was weird. I just had a bad. Feeling going into the game, and then the dude who's sitting next to me in the bar is is literally he, he orders a beer and he orders an iced tea, and he's sitting there talking to me. He's talking to us because we're there were a couple of us there. He's just like talking, talking, taking sugar and putting sugar in his iced tea. No, no, he's putting sugar in his beer, and it just overflows everywhere. And we're sitting there like, oh, the game hasn't even started yet. Really, what what is going on? <laughs> it's it's affecting us too. Did it he mean? To- did he mean to sugar the beer? No, he didn't. He was trying to put it in the iced tea, and it just went. He just put it in the beer by accident. So that was his Jets moment. That was his Jets moment. But it was even before the game. That was the three point spread. It was screwing with us all. So yeah, Vegas Vegas uh, took us for a ride with that three point spread. Um, and, and I knew, you know, you see the Eagles, and you know they're going to turn around at some point. I was just hoping this wasn't going to be the week. I was and just hoping to be fair to them. I mean, they didn't look good either. I mean, it just we shot ourselves in the foot way too many times. I was just hoping that the Jets might be legit and could give the Patriots a run for their money. I mean, I I want there to be a rivalry between the Jets and the Patriots or the Bills and the Patriots or the, the Dolphins and the Patriots. I want to have December football matter, and it hasn't for the last decade. Well, I think uh, we'll see what happens, man. But I, I tell you, the, the defense is real. 
that defense is absolutely real. Um, they, they need to iron out this offense and get it going. I, I'm, I'm looking back, and you know, Fitzpatrick didn't have a lot of time back there. But look, I, I still like this team. I, I do. I think it's one of the better Jet, jet teams we've had in a while. And I like Todd Bowles. I think he, I like his demeanor. Um, and I like the, the the front office. I like what they've done. And uh, personnel-wise, I like the guys that are on the field. So um, I, I'm still excited for the season. I, I think we have a good a good shot. And, you know, we always do play the Patriots hard. But that, Granted, that's with Rex Ryan. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. Bowles, Bowles is a different type of he, – he has a different mind. He never really – it doesn't seem like things bother him. I tell you what, they're going to be running sprints this week. They're, he's going to kick their ass in practice because that's what he does. Well, that's the thing I- – I think the Jets are a talented team. I really do, and especially on defense. But you can't be making mistakes against the Patriots and expect to win. No, I know. Well, we haven't made a mistake against the Patriots yet. So what I'm saying is they're going to make a mistake like Brandon Marshall made or like Fitzpatrick made 10 times yesterday, and you can't win that way. You have to be perfect. We'll see. You guys are some cocky sons of bitches, so we'll see what happens. Well, yeah, I mean, they're... Patriots, I'm talking about the fan base. The Patriots are, <laughs> are rolling, and... Uh, yeah, they are. They're rolling. I won 50 bucks on them, so... Like I was telling you earlier, like I hate the Patriots, but I'm not stupid. I saw a good bet, so I took it. I never <laughs> it was, bet on it was the an Patriots. Easy bet. I never bet on the Patriots only because I don't like to bet on the team I root for. Yeah, a 13 and a half point spread at home against Jacksonville. I mean, that's an easy cover. It's it, people yeah. get scared away by that number, I think, but they see double digit spreads. But I mean, when you look at what they're doing to teams, um, and then the fact that Belichick steps on throats, he doesn't well, let yeah. up. They're running so, up the score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 14 points is not even a, a running up the score. That's a that's that's a second quarter score. So, um, you know, it was a, it was an easy bet for me. But yes, I digress. You know, the Jets uh, the Jets will give me frustration uh, the entire season. I just expect it. So, um, I'm happy that we're two and one right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a, a broad look at this at the uh, season so far. And we get a 9:30 game next weekend. So that's that's kind of cool. I get to have breakfast and watch football. What do you mean? They're in London. They play the, oh, the, they oh, play so the Dolphins the, in London. They're doing the 1 o'clock London start, 9.30 our start? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like we're living on the West Coast for a weekend. We get to watch yeah. uh, football in the morning. That's actually pretty cool. Didn't the Lions do that last year? I don't remember who did it. And I, honestly, I'm not a big fan of it because uh, I think everybody likes it if it's not your team. Um, but when your team has to travel all the way over there and do some weird stuff, it's it's it, it can't be good for their, their schedule and their practicing and all that. So... I mean, while it's it's kind of cool and and you know it's a it's a different place and I know the, the NFL is trying to expand, but um, you know when it's your team, I'm not a fan of it. The flight, though, I mean, when you think about it, it's like flying to the West Coast. Yeah, it is. I guess it's just, but then you come back and it's a, it's a different type of jet lag. Yeah, and, the the time difference is much different. Yeah, so it's it's just a different. I mean, and the whole thing. I mean, your practice is different. Everything's different because you're over there. You're probably doing a lot more media. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, you're just, and literally you're in a foreign land. So, um, you know, I don't know. I like, it's fun. I, I think it's cool for, for them. And it's definitely bringing on fans and the NFL obviously wants to expand. I mean, they've been talking about bringing a fran- opening a franchise in London at some point, I which think wouldn't surprise plan, me. Their plan is to do it by like 2022 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, but, um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. Well, the dolphins are a dumpster fire, so. At least you could, you're playing them. Should be an easy win. Oh yeah, easy wins in Jetland. That's that that happens. That comes <laughs> off our tongue a lot. No, we'll lose. We'll lose because it's a, it's a quote easy win. We have a bye week the following week, so and then we play the Redskins. You know, we could go on a nice little streak if uh, if if we played the way we were supposed to play. But what are you gonna do? All right. So other than your teams losing uh, or your team losing, the oh yeah, and my 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 alma mater, Old Dominion, lost forty nine nothing at home to 
App State. So, yeah, awesome football weekend. Awesome football weekend. Is that why you're a little more fired up this morning? Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. 49 to nothing at home. That's embarrassing. I, mean, I didn't like, go to the game because I had a wedding. but It's a Patriot score. Yeah, thank God I didn't go to that game. Yeah, so I would not have a voice if I went to that game. So this is why I have a voice today. So the Yankees had um, an interesting week. There's a lot that went on um, and some sad, some sad stuff that went on. I mean, everyone knows what happened with Yogi. He passed away last Tuesday night. Uh, I think we all woke up Wednesday morning and were kind of you know taken aback by the news. I mean, he was 90 years old. We knew it was coming at some point, but it's still one of those things where, I mean, he was so beloved in the Yankees community and even in you know the whole baseball community um that when you saw the news it was just sad because he was you know he, he was such a lovable person i mean obviously i never met him but you know everything you saw on tv and every time you heard somebody talk about him it was just always good things so when i heard that news um i was sad and it, it's almost like you're losing um like a family member even though he's not a family member at least that's how i felt yeah, Yogi um Yogi Yogi is is like, you know, when you think about that generation uh, of of baseball players and just Americans honestly like cuz it's, you know, the greatest generation um is what the, what they're called and Yogi just kind of a, you know, exemplifies everything that um that whole generation was and the way that he carried himself and the way that he acted and just the hard work. I mean, he dropped out of school what in 8th grade to play baseball. Um, he wasn't, he never had like great instruction. He just knew how to play the game. He played the game the way he felt right. And, and that's just straight natural talent. I think about it. Like, could you imagine if Yogi Berra had the instructions or, you know, like the, the, all the instruction that, that today's game has and like everything about it, like he would be a beast and he was, he was phenomenal then. Um, but you know, so there's a couple things that, that come to mind for Yogi Berra. I actually did meet him one time and, uh, I got on uh, I got on Michael K on um, on Wednesday for for a quick second to tell this quick story just because it's one of my favorites. Um, I grew up in Ridgewood, New Jersey. It's uh, and I used to caddy when I was from eighth grade up until a couple couple years in college. Actually, I, I uh, caddied at Ridgewood Country Club in Paramus, and we used to do uh, Ridgewood would um, rent out the club on Mondays for the club was always closed on Mondays and they'd rent it out for like corporate outings, and um, so they every time anybody would 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 play golf. You would have to have a caddy at Ridgewood, and during the company outings, uh, all the all the people that would come and play would play in golf carts, so they wouldn't be walking. So we would just go out there with putters and literally four caddies. You know, you go ahead and just locate the ball, hand them the putters when they get to the green. And I I got very very lucky uh, one one Monday, and the foursome that I was caddying for was um, Dave DeBusher of the Knicks, uh, a giant offensive lineman who I cannot remember his name, uh, Bobby Thompson, shot heard around the world. And then Yogi Berra. And they put Bobby Thompson and Yogi together? They did. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I'm sure they came together because usually the way that these, these outings go, these guys come together. Um, so it was, I mean, as a, baseball, as a baseball fan, you know, it's like a, just a fanatic Yankee. Like it was like a dream come true for me. And, uh, you know, I really wish I could remember all of the stories that were told and just specifically remember those things. But unfortunately, I don't. Um, I just remember... The couple things that I do remember is that one, they were the most just very nice people. Um, they were telling stories and just talking and, and just joking around and just being like extremely nice and, and good to me. Um, and and then on the first tee box, like this is the story that's always stuck with me. Uh, Yogi Bear, I'm forecasting, so I'm down the down the fairway a little bit uh, past the clubhouse. If, if you know Ridgewood Country Club, there's the clubhouse on the left hand side of the the first 
uh, par four, and the tee box is behind the clubhouse um, on the right. So Yogi gets up to the tee box. I'm down in the middle of the fairway um, on the left-hand side in the rough, just waiting for the balls to come so I can look, uh, locate the balls. And Yogi steps up to the box, shanks – I mean, he just hits the worst drive that was going towards the clubhouse. It went it like just went past the clubhouse towards the practice green. There's a giant tree uh, right in front of the practice green. Hits the practice green tree, solid as, any, as you could hit a tree. The ball – then takes a, a ridiculous bounce off of the tree, bounces back towards the fairway, rolls middle of the fairway. Ended up being a perfect drive. Clubhouse kick. Clubhouse kick. I mean, it ain't over till it's over. You can you can put as many yogiisms on this as you want, but the man was out of bounds by 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 a hundred yards, and and this thing comes right back in to uh, to to set him up perfectly. So. It just kind of epitomized everything that you know that that I've known of him with his sayings that he never told it's over, and just you know him laughing it off, and then and then going and uh, and playing on the hole. So it was. Uh, it's always it's one of my favorite stories, uh, just because I think it was one of the coolest moments of my life at that point, and just you know meeting meeting uh, you know big people, uh, celebrities or, or athletes. Uh, that's that's definitely top of my list. So curious, uh, did he swing lefty or righty? Uh, dude, I, I cannot remember. This was twenty years ago. So. Uh, I, I don't remember. Yeah, unfortunately, because um, he's right-handed, he throws right-handed, but he always batted left. So, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't remember, but um, it was, uh, it was pretty unbelievable. And then, and then the other story. I know Michael K uh, did a really good job on um, on the day after Yogi passed. Uh, he was telling stories all day long, and, and he was, you know, he was he was emotional, and he, he got he got. I know a lot of my friends who are listening to it emotional as well. Um, but he told a story that I wanted to share as well uh, about Yogi that, to me, again, epitomizes the, the kind of man he was, kind of teammate he was. Um, but this is, this is from Michael Kay uh, that, that he told on, uh, on his show. He said, when Phil Rizzuto became ill towards the end of his life, he was put in an assisted living facility, which is about 30 minutes away from where Yogi lived. And every single day, because teammates were important to him, he would drive there and he would play cards with Phil. And then when Phil would fall asleep or start to fall asleep, Yogi would hold his hand when Phil would finally go to sleep, and that's when Yogi would leave every single day. That's what teammates meant to Yogi. And to me, that's the most like, touching. I get chills on my spine just, just reading it. Um, you know, it's, it, what, a, what, a, what a guy, what, what a man, you know. And that's when nobody's looking, right? That's, that's how you can really tell who people are when nobody's watching and, and what they do behind the scenes. And, and to me, that, that story really just kind of sums up Yogi Berra. Yeah, you, I mean, that's exactly it. I think that's why people – are so sad that he passed away is because no one has ever said a bad word about him. And I, literally the only person that ever had a problem with, with him was George Steinbrenner and they made up and, you know, that all got settled out. Um, but he was just beloved so much, which is why it hit the baseball community so hard, I think. And not just the baseball community. I mean, he was a, he, he became an American icon. I mean, those yogiisms were were you know everybody knows those yogiisms. I read something about that, that he's got more quotes in um, in what is it the Baron's quote book or whatever the, the book of, of quotes is that, that are documented all. Um, he has more quotes than than every single president. You know, he's got more quotes than any president. Like this this man is a you know is a, he's an American icon and he was beloved because you know he he not only after he retired. You know, everybody knew who Yogi Berra was just because of, uh, you know, who he was and, and what he did and, you know, having the Yogi Museum and everything he's done for the game. Um, you know, he's been tremendous. And, you know, he was not the most 
physically gifted guy, athletically gifted guy. I mean, he was what five foot eight, two hundred pounds. I mean, he he was not a big guy, but the way he played the game—that's a sturdy um, man, five eight, two yeah, right, two hundred. No, no doubt, no doubt. Um, but he was a bad ball hitter. He never struck out. Um, I mean, he he's got some ridiculous stats. Look his stats up. If you don't know his statistics about the times he struck out. Go look. I think he struck out 12 times in 1950 when he hit, batted 350. Oh, yeah. Like, it's insane. Almost 500 at-bats. Uh, at I mean, it's it's insane. He struck out, I think, like 430-something times in his career, and he played for like 18 seasons. Yeah. And he was not a he, – he swung at everything. Um, that's how he learned how to play baseball. I mean, he, if, he, if you could see the ball, you hit the ball. Um, so, you know, he's a – He's absolutely a role model, an icon. Um, you know, I hope they make. I hope someone does his story right in a in a in a movie at some point. Uh, that because he's got a tremendous life. I mean, I think he sold land in Florida that became Disney World. I mean, like the guy had a had a golden touch in business as well. Uh, you know, everything about him, he just did well. And one of the one of the the coolest things, and honestly, like it's just it's a beautiful story in my opinion. Um, the, the day he the day he passed away, the the next day. It was his wife's birthday that had passed away, um, I think, a year or two before that. So, you know, he literally he, – he passed away in, you know, in his sleep at 90 years old and then went and, and to celebrate his, his wife's birthday in heaven. And like that was – it's just a it, – to me, it's like a touching, beautiful love story that, that, that he was there for his wife. And it's, it's – again, it's, it's a it's – a, you can't write that. I mean it's, uh, it, it's pretty tremendous. Well, you, you mentioned stats. My favorite Yogi stat is that he played in 75 World Series games. And the Red Sox franchise in their history has played in 74. So that just tells you how, I mean, obviously I know that's a team thing. The Yankees were good for pretty much every year he was on the team, but he was a leader on that team. He, he won three MVPs. He finished in the top five of MVP, like another four times. So he wasn't just a guy there for the ride. I mean, he was a leader on that team, always in the world series, just sort of, um, like you mentioned, his, his amazing life. It's almost like a Forrest Gump type story. Like he's yeah. selling land in Disney World. He's he, he's yeah. hanging out with Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. He, he's playing in the World Series. He's coming up. He's the most quoted athlete maybe of all time. Um, you know, it ain't over till it's over. Might be the most famous sports quote ever, and probably yeah. will be ever. So, um, just an unreal life. Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, you know, sad to see him go. Absolutely. But, you know, he lived a, a complete full life, um, left a, a legacy that will be remembered forever. So, you know, you can't you can't be too, you know, it's, it's a time to celebrate what he had, what he had done. And, and now he's with his wife, um, who was so special to him. Um, you know, I read a whole bunch of stuff on, you know, just how much his family meant to him. So, um, you know, uh, cheers, Yogi. It's an absolutely amazing, uh, amazing life. Absolutely. Um, you know, Scott and I just wanted to take a minute to talk about Yogi, you know, just as two Yankee fans who didn't watch him play, you know, our, our dads didn't even watch him play, but, um, he transcended generations, you know, from our grandfathers to our dads to us. Um, he's just been a special Yankee. So, um, you know, everything, everything that everyone's been saying, um, it's just, it's just great to hear. And, um, rest in peace, Yogi, rest in peace. Um, he almost stuck around, though, for uh, a Yankees milestone, and that's 10,000 wins, uh, franchise wins. The Yankees are one win away. Hopefully they get it tonight um, against the Red Sox. But uh, they would be the eighth franchise in history to get 10,000 wins. Eight, you say, huh? I, I knew uh, there was a catcher who wore number eight. A couple yes, catchers. There wore you eight. go. Look at that. Yeah, that's pretty tremendous. That's a lot of wins. You know, um, uh, you had a stat that you, you were telling me about the, the, the Yankees have um, the, the highest 
yeah. winning percentage of all time, too. I mean, it's, it's just tremendous what they're doing. 10,000 wins is a lot of wins, so that's definitely something to celebrate. So, you know, people might say, you know, how are the Yankees the eighth team to do it? They're the best team in, in baseball history. Well, they haven't been around as long as some of these other teams. Um, you know, the Braves have the most wins of all time, and they've been around since the 1800s. So the Yankees did it in, in some cases, decades less of time which is why their winning percentage of 569 is the highest of any team. The next closest team is the Giants franchise at 538. So they're 31 points higher. Um, and that just goes to show you how good they've been year in and year out. Yeah, I mean, and the, the, the amount of, like, the Yankees have had streaks, too, where they just didn't lose very often. And, you know, they had some just amazing teams. And some of those some of those Barry teams are, are exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, those guys were ridiculous uh, for, for an extended period of time. So... Um, and that's a big difference. Five sixty nine and five thirty eight from being one or two. That's a that's a that's a significant um, increase in winning percentage. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of seasons of ninety win seasons versus eighty win seasons uh, yeah, year no, after year. Absolutely. So that's something to celebrate. I think um, I think I'll appreciate it more when the season's over. But I'm so laser focused on what's going on right now. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I wonder what the team will do. They'll probably put it up on the the jumbotron tonight. Um, hopefully, they get it. Um, it, yeah, it's just one of those things that it's, it's a notch on the belt of the Yankees, many, many notches. Um, yep. yeah, you mentioned getting, gearing up for the playoffs. Um, I think we're going to get into that a little bit now. The Yankees, I don't want to say are limping, uh, to the finish line, but they're, they're definitely not running to the finish line. They're, they've got like a methodical walk that I don't really know how I feel about it. It's like your mom power walking down the street with five pound weights. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Yeah, you know, there's a couple things that are happening now. I mean, the pitching it seems to be a little bit better. The starting pitching seems to be, uh, you know, uh, getting a little bit on track and, and and better. But the offense is just um, it's just not doing what we're supposed to do. We're seeing a couple bright spots, which is nice. I mean, I think I think uh, Ellsbury's definitely hitting the ball better. Um, so that's happening. <laughs> um, Ref Center's gotten to a couple games, so that's pretty cool. We've seen that Ackley's been hitting the ball well. Um, but yeah, the, 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 we have some definite guys who are, are struggling badly still, and um, we need these guys to get going. There's one week left, one week left to gear up, uh, to, to lock down this, this number one wild card spot and to go in full steam. So, um, you know, we still got a little bit of time, I guess, to write the ship, and it can happen very fast. It can definitely happen fast. Four guys I want to talk about that are really struggling right now and have been struggling for a while. The first one is Chase Headley. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I hate Chase Headley. He has very quickly entered into my top five most hated Yankees of all time. Andrew, who are those those top five? Well, it's not an easy list to crack because, as you know, I got a lot of hate in my heart. (laughs) But uh, for the full listing of top five, number one, I think this guy will appear on everybody's list, is Carl Pavano. Just one of the biggest D-bags of all time. Signed a mega contract. Mega at the time, it was $39.5 million dollars. He was pissed that it was 39.5 and not a round number of $40 million. He made a stink. Then he got injured every year and never really pitched for the team. So they were always one. terrible injuries too. Like yeah. he pulled his butt muscle walking yeah. up the stairs or something stupid like that. And could not, would not play through even the smallest of injuries. You know, he'd have a hangnail and he'd be like, you know, put me on the 15-day DL. All right, so he's number one, obvious. Number two, Kevin Brown. Mainly just because he sucked in Game 7 of the 4 ALCS, but he sucked because he punched the wall a couple weeks earlier and broke his hand, uh, so he's just a jackass. Number three, Randy Johnson. 
I know he had a couple good seasons with the team, but his playoff record in those years was atrocious. Um, and he was also kind of a jackass and very, very ugly man. Number four is Raul Mondesi. Uh, some Yankee fans might not remember, but he replaced Paul O'Neill in 2002 and was terrible. And he was also kind of a bad guy. Uh, never really did anything. And O'Neill was always my favorite player. So if you're replacing my favorite player, I'm not going to like you. And number five is Chase Headley. And he might go up to number four this year because the year's not over. Chase Headley has cracked my my number five because we all know about the errors, 22 errors or whatever it is. But the month of September, batting 178 with four RBIs in 24 games. It's almost impossible to, to be that bad and still play. But Girardi's still playing him and he's still frustrating the hell out of me. Well, we know he plays batters that, that hit under 200. I mean, that's that's Girardi. That's in his book for sure. Stephen Drew did it for a long time. At least Stephen Drew had some pop during that. But, yeah, he's been an, he's been an automatic out, and, and lately he's been up very high in the lineup too against oh, left-handed pitching. Don't even get me started. Um, I, first of all, I'm surprised to see Randy Johnson on there. Raul Mondesi is not even a blip on the radar, so I don't know why he bothered. You, see, this is this, – you, you, you have it's anger my, in your my, heart. It's my list. You have anger in your heart, but you're letting these guys bother you too much. Like Raul Mondesi bothering you? I guess. I mean, because he replaced Paul O'Neill, but I don't know. He didn't come in there to, like, replace Paul O'Neill. Like, his, uh, you know, it, he, I, I barely remember. I mean, I know he was a Yankee, but I, he's not someone that sticks out in my mind. He was a Dodger. Um, but, yeah, so all these guys uh, came over on contracts. That's, that's what's funny. They, they were, like, big free, uh, free agent signings, um, every one of your five. Yeah, so, and, then, and then none of them lived up to it. Yeah, Kevin Brown pitched well until he punched the damn wall. That was God. That was stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, Headley's been bad. He really has been, and I think he's been bothering me lately now too. Um, he ha- he hasn't bothered me uh, up until this month, but it's just it's become too much. He really has been terrible, and in big situations, and you know, with with runners in scoring position, and uh, the errors are just really bothering me. Um, it's it's crazy though because he makes those those amazing plays towards the bag like clockwork. I mean he makes them all the time, um, but then he can't you know he can't field the routine ball and make a good throw. So or he makes the, the a ridiculous play, gets up, has plenty of time, and then and then you know pounds it into the dirt. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see your frustration with him. Uh, he's he's been bad, and I don't understand why Girardi's batting him so high in the lineup. He he bats him second against lefties, and it's almost yes. like Girardi opens up his binder and says, "Ooh, lefty on the mound." That means Chase Headley is a switch hitter, so he'll bat second today. Use your eyes, Girardi. Chase Headley is batting 178 this month. What are you doing sticking him in the top of the order to kill the team? If you're going to still play him, shove him at the bottom of the order, 7, 8, or 9, where he's not going to kill the team. I don't get it. Who do you want playing instead of Headley at third base? Headley's going to be the third baseman in the playoff game. I understand that, and at this point, you're stuck with him this long, so he's going to be there. But I think over the last week, Joe could have put Brendan Ryan there and given Headley a couple days off. I guess. But again, you're, you're putting in the same guy for Brendan Ryan. And I, to me, I'd rather try to get him through it because of Headley's He's bat. tried that, though. For a month, he has not I know, hit. But here's the problem. It's not second base where we have a ridiculous amount of depth. It's third base. The other guy is Brendan Ryan. So there's, it's, a, it's a shallow position for us. They're not putting A-Rod out there. So there, there's really not many options for him to do. I and hate that argument. I hate the argument. It oh, is. Well, I mean, that's that's. Do? There is no other. There's not very many options it's, unless you put like unless you start putting. You can't put Ackley over there. I, I don't know. So there's there's not much you can do at third base. There really isn't. But um, Brendan you, you Ryan put won't Fred, make the Fred errors. Bird, 
but Greg Bird doesn't have the uh, Greg Bird doesn't have no. the experience over yeah, there. You're not going to put Bird there now, but at least Brendan Ryan will make plays in the field. He's not going to make errors. And if you play him there for a series, you give Headley a mental series off. Maybe that turns him around. I guess I, I'm just not in love with putting Brendan Ryan there as a, as an option. I would bury him in the lineup. Put him further down and let him head out of it as opposed to putting Brendan Ryan out there. That's what I would do. I definitely would not put him up in the two spot. That's not something I would ever do um, because of what he's been doing uh, this month. But to me, uh, I, I, in my opinion, is that Joe Girardi's uh, a bit handcuffed on this one because the options are not great uh, besides him. So um, let him head Because you do need him because he's going to be playing in the playoffs. So might as well let him head out of it now and get, it, get through. Yeah. Well, speaking of the number two spot in the lineup, Brett Gardner. Um, I know we've mentioned this a couple times, but he bad. He hit 302 in the first half. He was an all-star. Looked like he was on to having his best season ever. And in the second half, he's hit 201, which is 101 points lower than his first half, first half average. Um, and he's batting 182 in the month of September. So <laughs> it, this isn't a slump. This is just he's bad right now. And it's been like this for two and a half months. I think you got to think about getting him out of the two spot in the order and maybe putting Didi there because Didi's been hot the whole second half. Yeah, when he's struggling, 182 in September is, is terrible. And we talked about this one where we're going to let him play through it because he's Brett Gardner. I mean, he's he's one of your cornerstone guys. Um, but 201 in the second half is really discouraging to see that because, you know, we've seen it before. We, we've seen it before him struggle in the second half. And uh, the fact that he's done it and really hasn't come out of it playing every day um, is, is discouraging to, to say the least. And, you know... It's not one guy. It's not two guys. It's not just Stephen Drew anymore who's not hitting the ball. It's there's a there's there's four guys. That, I mean, we're about to talk about the, the other two, but there's four guys that we're mentioning that are 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 still struggling with the bat, and you cannot do that with this lineup. I mean, th- this is this is I, I feel like I'm beating it uh, beating a dead horse at this point. But when your averages and your on base percentages are this low, you can't score runs. So the only time you're going to win the game is when a ball goes out of the stadium. That's the only time you're going to win because you don't put anything together that that's, that you know prolongs an inning or it gives you a, a little bit of a streak in the lineup. It just doesn't happen when you have guys hitting 200 and under 200 and multiple guys in a lineup. Especially because this team is terrible at situational hitting. Just simply well, moving a, a runner over or, or getting a sack fly. I mean, I feel like every game there's a situation where they fail at that. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the batting averages, you can tell that they're not. They're, they just are not good hitters right now, period. I don't care what the situation is. They're just not good hitters at any time. So, yes, you're going to see lower um, situational hitting as well because it, overall it's just terrible. Um, but, you know, I, look, it is what it is at this point. I mean, the, the lineup is the lineup right now. Joe's not going to change it. We know Girardi and how he, he sticks to his guys and sticks to his lineup. So, you know, we have one week to get this thing going. Um, and then, you know, ma- playoff baseball is different. It's a different scenario. It's it, 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 People play differently, I think. I think the body gets up for it. Um, you know, big players show up at, at, at big times. So we'll see what these guys can do in big situations when, the when you know, the heat is on a little bit more and it's not just a, a you know, a regular season game when it's it's do or die. Uh, hopefully that brings out a little bit more from these guys. But, um, but yeah, it's you know, we like- need to pick it up. It's not like these guys have a 10-game lead and they've been coasting for the last month. I mean, they've been fighting for their division and, and the wild card for the whole season. Those I mean, I understand games. that. It's, still, it's just a different feeling when you're in a playoff game, just I period. I mean, people always say it's a, a playoff atmosphere, but it's not a playoff atmosphere. It's a different atmosphere when you're playing the game, even when you're watching the game. When you know it's in the playoffs, it's one game or it's a you know it's a seven-game series. I mean, it's, it just feels different. So, um, <clears throat> Well... Another guy who I think quietly has kind of been in a slump because 
I haven't really heard many people talk about it, is Brian McCann. 200 average, three extra base hits in his last 28 games. Um, he was probably, with Teixeira injured, the MVP of the, of the team uh, yeah. this season. And he's always batting you know, in the four or five hole. I mean, he's got to provide more protection to Beltran and A-Rod, um, and he's just not doing that right now. Yeah, and he was an extra base machine uh, coming into September. You know, he, I mean, after the All Star break, uh, he was hitting he was hitting uh, extra base after extra base hit. Uh, so he was he was been really good. So you know, hopefully this this slump is going to be uh, coming to an end. Uh, here's the good news: the guys have been slumping for a month, <laughs> and baseball usually straightens itself out. Yeah. So what, what what that leads me to believe is that then the October is going to be hot, right? October is going to be just cruising because this cannot last forever. Baseball usually does, um, you know come back and, and, and balance itself out. So um, that's the good news. And last but not least is our boy Alex Rodriguez, who's five for his last 33. And my only analysis on this is he just looks old and tired. Yeah, because he is old and tired. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, we've, we've seen it. I mean, he's gone through a couple of streaks where he's hit the ball well, like a week at a time. Um, but really since the second half, I mean, this is kind of what he's looked like. He's been uh, much more sluggish. He's just not, you know, not, not able to... Um, to hit the ball out of the park like he did in the first half. Uh, but, you know, I mean, how can you not expect that? I mean, we, first of all, we didn't expect what he did in the first half. So this is kind of the A-Rod that we expected almost. Absolutely. And he's been on a slow decline pretty much in the second half. Um, he's still not their worst hitter right now. And I actually think he would benefit, as we just mentioned, from some protection deeper in the order where he's getting those fastballs that he can jump on because the pitchers don't want to pitch to McCann and Beltron, who are coming up after him. So I think, you know, the hitters around him are as much of an issue as A-Rod is. I mean, the, another reason he was so good in the first half is because Ellsbury and Gardner were on base every time, causing right. havoc. The pitcher had to worry about them, uh, you know, first and second, first and third, every time A-Rod came up. Um, and that's just not happening. So he's up there a lot of times, you know, with two outs and, and no one on. It's like, you know, he's trying to hit a solo home run just to get the team going, and it's just not happening. Yep. Now, you, you touched on the, the biggest thing that this team needs. This team needs Ellsbury and Gardner, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but it's just the truth. I mean, it's the absolute truth. We need this team, uh, we need the t- those two guys to, to start the order off right and, uh, and, and get on base um, and, and have a high, base per- high on-base percentage because when they are on base, when they are creating havoc on the base path, as we say, the team is just tremendously better. I mean, just ridiculously better and it gives a lot more opportunities for the McCanns the A-Rods the Beltrons the Birds now to find good pitches and for pitchers to make mistakes gives them something else to think about so you know when they're missing uh, those those guys are you know can make them pay for it so yeah can't can't uh, overstate that enough they need to get on base and they need to uh, create havoc on the base path well you want to hear like a glass half full type situation at least we're not doing a Washington Nationals podcast this morning because they're just the biggest trash bag team going right now. Uh, Mets clinched the division over the weekend. Nationals, total disappointment this year. A lot of people picked them to be in the World Series. Um, the Scherzer signing, you know, people thought Harper was going to have a massive year, and he has had a massive year, but just with everything going on with that team, they thought they were going to be in the World Series. And Matt Williams is a terrible manager, and I think a microcosm for their season yesterday in the dugout. Harper is coming back after he flew out. Papelbon's giving him shit for something. I don't know what. Not running out the ball. That's what it was. Okay, so there you go. Um, and they he said, get, he said, run out the ball, run yeah. out the ball. And Papelbon, who's 
maybe other than AJ Pruszynski, the biggest jack- jackass in Major League Baseball. And Harper, who I know a lot of people love him, a lot of people hate him too because he's a bit of a hothead. Uh, when you have a jackass and a hothead, go, you know, <laughs> in one dugout, that's a recipe for disaster. And um, Harper comes back in the dugout, says, "All right, let's go, big man." And Papelbon, who was standing above him in the dugout, I think that's a very important point. You don't challenge a man to a fight who is two steps, you know, taller than you in the dugout. Papelbon goes. Papelbon's not a small guy either. No. He's a big dude. And you know he's got that, like, crazy, you know, Midwestern rage where he's just out in the back chopping wood all night. Um, goes, chokes him out. They break it up. Uh, just just a crazy situation with the Nationals. Uh, Matt Williams needs to be fired because he's totally lost control of his clubhouse. Um, just a complete and utter disaster. I'm going to back up uh, our our uh, one of our writers who's a big uh, he, he's a big Bryce Harper fan and I know he wants to see Bryce Harper in, in pinstripes at some point which I wouldn't be upset about RJ RJ I'm, I'm not going to let uh, Andrew just just end it with that because Harper got the best of Papelbon at the end of that fight okay Papelbon comes down with like a chokehold and throws him up but Harper spun it around and had had Papelbon on the on the bench so there you go <laughs> but yeah it was it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I mean, this shouldn't happen. And I mean, Pavel Bond, don't run your mouth. You just got you just got ousted from the playoffs. You were supposed to be, uh, you know, a World Series contender. You're nobody likes you anyway. Nobody even wanted you on the team in the first place in the dugout. Like Drew Storen was their closer, and they were happy with that. And then you come in and just exactly. disrupt everything. Um, I mean, if you're the Nationals, don't you just be like, all right, Papelbon, go home. For pack your bags, season. dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. And you go after the franchise player at the throat. I mean, he literally went after his jugular, the franchise player. You don't do that. It's just a, it's a, such a big no-no. And um, yeah, yeah, I would I would have sent him packing. Absolutely. It's like it's him. like if Carl Pavano in 2005 was mad that he wasn't pitching well. And then he goes and chokes out Derek Jeter in the clubhouse. I wonder who the team is going to side with. Oh, dude, he wouldn't have made it out of the stadium. He would have made it out of the stadium. People would have been waiting for him in the tunnel. I'm serious. They would have been. Um, so, yeah, so that was, yeah, good job, Nationals. Way to, way to completely underperform and then and then show the world. <laughs> that was pretty good. Right. Well, cool. I, I think we had to mention that because uh, you don't really see that kind of bit, that serious of a fight happen very often in the dugout, especially between teams. Usually baseball fights, there's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of you know, taunting and challenging of fights. A punch might be thrown, but it's usually not landed, and then it's over. Yeah, um, Reggie and Billy Martin was the, the other uh, yeah. same clubhouse, uh, same dugout fight that I, you know, that I can recall. Um, but yeah, not very many of them happen. All right, so the Yankees are, uh, as we all know, four up in the wild card, but they're also four back in the division um, with seven to play. So it, we're pretty much locked into the first wild card spot which means they'll be hosting the wild card game next Tuesday night. Um, their magic number to clinch a playoff spot is three games. Um, so they just got to take care of business in this Red Sox series, and then they can rest their guys the last weekend. I think that's really what we need to see. Um, but I want to talk about some things that might happen with this wild card, which could really benefit the Yankees and be interesting. So there's right now three teams fighting it out for that third wild card spot. The Astros, the Angels, and the Twins. Um, and they all are separated by a game and a half. So there's a very real scenario where there's a menage a trois of, of teams all tied for that third spot, which would be awesome because there's so many tiebreaker scenarios. Uh, we'll get into it in a second. But that basically means the Yankees will be sitting back with their feet up watching these three teams fight it out the last weekend and also on that Monday before that game. 
using all their best pitchers and, and, and you know being you know being tired having to fly overnight uh, that could really really benefit the Yankees yes there are a lot of scenarios uh, that that can play out very well for the Yankees and you know when we're talking about them kicking up uh, and, and watching what's going on you know we're seeing we're seeing uh, top line starters for these teams get burned out that's that's you know the biggest thing right that we're that we're that we're seeing the fact that these guys are going to get burned out and the Yankees might not be able to might not have to face um, you know the guys that were were kind of you know don't want to see the Dallas Keuchel's of the world so yeah huge huge uh, huge scenarios that could possibly happen and hopefully play out so the Yankees are going to start Tanaka either Tuesday or Wednesday I think that's the report of this week against the Red Sox which would line him up for that Tuesday playoff game uh, we all know he's going to be the guy assuming he's healthy and I think his hamstring's fine I think they're just being extra cautious with it but um, there's a lot of as we mentioned, tie-breaking scenarios where um, you can read it. You can just Google tie-breaking scenarios. It's going to give you a popsicle headache because it's pretty confusing. But what it basically comes down to is the Twins, the Astros, and the Angels, if they all tie, will be assigned A, B, or C. A and B plays each other, and then C plays the winner of A and B. So there could be a situation where two games happen before even the Yankees play in that wildcard game. And those tie-breakers are all based on head-to-head records, um, intra-league play, intra-league play in the second half. There's a lot of different things going on. As we mentioned, it's all good news because those teams have to play balls to the wall between now and the end of the season. And that's something the Yankees don't necessarily have to do. I mean, they can't just throw scrubs out there, but they can just basically play it, play the season out, play 500 and clinch that number one wildcard spot, Um, which I think puts you in a situation where even though it's a do or die situation in the wild card game, you have the big upper hand. Well, and a couple other things too. I mean, even if it's not three, if it's two, right, you're still playing, these guys are still playing a playing game. But even if that scenario doesn't happen over the weekend, one of these teams could be playing for that scenario to not go into a playoff spot. So chances are that they're going to be throwing their number one on Sunday or Saturday. Um, So there's a lot of good things happening uh, at that, at that second wild card where they're going to be, pretty much unloading what, whatever they need to to get into this spot um, because it's do or die at that point. So, so yes, they are going to be treating this weekend, all three of these teams are going to be treating them uh, like, a, uh, like a playoff game, basically. So you're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of arms used um, and, and I'll pretty much uh, you know, pulling out every, every, possible, uh, every possible weapon that they can to, to get into the playoffs because, I mean, there is no game if you don't get into the playoffs, so they have to win the, the, this weekend as well. And uh, another thing to keep an eye out for is the fact that the Blue Jays and Royals are now tied for the best record in the league at 90 and 65. So everyone thought the wild card winner was going to be heading to Kansas City. <laughs> they might be heading to Toronto now too, and we know how tough Toronto is. Um, so I think Yankee fans are hoping that the Royals win the best record and not the Blue Jays. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, you know, we talked about this. You and I have have, have talked about this, and, and my feelings on on uh, like lining up a team. I, I personally don't. I hate. I hate like requ- asking for a team. Like, I hope these these guys win, so we play them. Because I don't know. I feel like you're you're playing with fire when that happens. Just my superstitions. But um, we've been terrible against the Blue Jays. So I would not. I would not. Well, I would not. Uh, you know, be upset if we had to go to Kansas City over Toronto, uh, just because it's something a little bit different, and there's. Uh, it would put off a Blue Jays series uh, for the time being, just because they've they've really had our number this year. Yeah, Yankees are six and thirteen against the Blue Jays this year, which we talked about that in the second half. They play so many times. I think the the Yankees had thirteen games against the Blue Jays after yeah. the All Star break. 
They lost the majority of them, which is the difference in the division. Um, the Yankees had a six-game lead on July 31st. I know the Blue Jays went on two separate, you know, big winning streaks. They got Tulo. They got Price. They were fired up. I understand that. But the reality is they were 10 games better than the Yankees in the second half. Um, and the big difference was head-to-head. So it, even though the Yankees do, I think, play the Blue Jays tough, there's a lot of close games. It seems like the Blue Jays are getting the better of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know what Tulo's, uh, he was, I know he was throwing and, and swinging the bat last week or, you know, what, what his, what his deal is, um, and, and getting back. But that, I mean, that's a huge bat that's, that's possibly ready, um, and, and could just bolster that lineup even more, um, especially with a, a first round buy. So they're, they're going to be, uh, pretty much fully loaded, ready to go for that series, uh, it seems like. Um, and yeah, they have had our number. I mean, yeah, there have been close games, but <laughs> they've knocked on the Yankees way and, uh, uh, so yeah, I would I would I would just like to put them off as long as possible and uh, play somebody else in front of us. One thing to watch with the Blue Jays is David Price. I know he's pitching out of his mind right now, but he has not been good in his career in the playoffs. He's a one in five career record in the playoffs, and that one win did not come in a start. It came in relief um, in 2000, 2008 against the Red Sox in Game Seven. He came in relief um, in Tampa and won that game. But he's 0-5 otherwise as a starter. So I mean, I'm throwing numbers out the window with him because he was terrible against the Yankees until he went to Toronto, and now it's been lights out. I mean, we can't even touch the dude. So, But this one, this number supports my argument, so I want to go with it. Okay. Well, it, it supports my argument, too, where that playoffs are different. So maybe he just folds under the pressure. Hopefully. Um, of, of a playoff atmosphere. So, yeah. I just, you know, he's been so good against us. I mean, really, it's also left-handed pitching in general. Um, but he's been, uh, you know, we've, I think we faced him, what, three times in the second half? Yeah. Seems like he's, every other day we're facing David Price. Well, um, but he he pitched against Archer over the weekend, and that game ended up 10-8 to eight yeah, against well, the Rays. So, so I don't know what he's doing, but for against the Yankees, he's uh, he's trying to erase his, his bad record against the Yankees and, and, and change history in that way. So Archer and um, Price are two guys the Yankees can't touch. And then they go out and get shelled uh, against the Blue Jays, and you know Rays and Blue Jays play each other. They get shelled, so it just goes to figure. Yeah, it's baseball. That's baseball. That's, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so we've got to recap some of these games. I know we're at like forty six, forty seven minutes now, so we're, let's try and get through them pretty quickly. Um, Monday they lost. They went to Toronto and they needed to win this series if they wanted to have a realistic shot at the division. They lost two out of three, so they didn't do their job. Um, Monday was kind of a lost game after the first inning. Warren struggled. The first four guys reached base, three total runs. Um, he had a 35-pitch first inning, which with an already mediocre bullpen, you know, we, we've we complained about Cotham and Rumbelow and Pazos and all these guys. If your starter's only going uh, three and a third innings, you're screwed for the rest of the game. Well, and, you know, it seems like every single time we play Toronto, these guys jump out on us in the first inning every single time and, like, just immediately put their, you know, put put the, the, the their foot on our throat. Uh, every single time, it seems like they come out and just just hit the ball right from the start of the game. So, you know, that's something that we, if, if we do play Toronto and and something in the future, we need to start getting off on, on a better foot. And we need to start getting off and, and playing well early in the game because when you're down uh, against that lineup and you're playing um, and you're and you're going against David Price or whoever it is in front of you, um, you figure you're in the playoffs. You're going to be against somebody good. It's just it's it's not the way our team works, and we play so much better with a lead. I I know everybody plays better, but with a lead, but specifically, and and you know these Yankees play a hell of a lot better with a lead. So you know going down uh, early in the game is a is just a recipe for disaster for this team. Absolutely, and they they often struggled in that game as we just mentioned against David Price. They had one shot. There was bases loaded and one out. 
um, I believe in the third inning, and they got no runs. So when you miss an opportunity like that against David Price, it's just not your night. No, and the situational hitting, you know, over this past week was just terrible. I mean, I don't know how many times we saw bases loaded and, and us not taking it. Us getting zero runs or, or one run or just, you know, these guys gotta these guys gotta come up in those situations. If you're not going to be hitting um, for average, and I know it goes against against reasoning when you're when you're when I'm saying this, like as I'm saying it, I'm contradicting myself because they are batting under 200, but yet I want them to to produce in situational times. It's just not going to happen. But in order for us to win games, we need to be uh, producing in situation, uh, producing with the situational hitting and, you know, moving guys over, getting them in, um, and at least scratching out two runs when you have bases loaded with no outs. Tuesday, they won 6-4 to four in 10 innings, and this was a wild game, playoff atmosphere. It looked like the Yankees still had a shot. They were going to claw for the division. Um, Severino pitched really well, which was good to see against the Blue Jays because he really struggled his last time out against that team. Um, so it's nice to see. And, and one thing I think that's important is that was the third time he's faced the Blue Jays, and that's the most he's faced of any team so far in his career. So the Blue Jays have seen him a lot. So for him, to, he pitched well two out of three times. Right. So and, Both and in Toronto. Both in Toronto, exactly. So um, we love Severino. We both love Severino. We think he's got uh, great stuff, and he, he seems to have some some guts out there on the mound. So good things out of him. Yeah, no, I was excited to see him uh, bounce back after that start. And when we talked about that start and we were kind of analyzing that game, the second one where he got lit up early in Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of it as like the kid hyped himself up too much for that game and he just wasn't locating because he got rocked in the very first inning. Uh, and you could tell that you could tell that they were they were kind of sitting on some of his stuff and he was missing. And I think a lot of it was home start Toronto. Uh, and I think he just put too much pressure on himself and he came out a little too amped up. Um, so I'm glad that he was able to kind of settle into himself and, and pitch his game because uh, that's that's what we need from him. We need him to be, you know, our our second, our second, maybe second, third guy coming out um, and pitching well against good teams. So you know, the fact that he came back and showed a lot of moxie, showed a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just just a quality start was uh, was something awesome to see. The Yankees were kind of nursing a small lead in this game and. They missed so many opportunities to extend the lead. Uh, Two for eight with runners in scoring position. Total uh, 12 men left on base. And they tried to run on Bautista's arm twice, and he's got an absolute hose. He threw out Ackley trying to go first to third, and then he threw out Chris Young trying to score uh, some insurance in the ninth inning on a sack fly. Um, (laughs) I think the Yankees have learned their lesson. Stop running on Bautista. I probably wouldn't have run on him in the ninth inning uh, because that would have only been... um, one out instead of, uh, or actually, that would have made it two outs. So I guess that's why they were trying to score. But still, don't run on him. He, he's got a he's got a cannon. Well, here's the problem I have here, and this is a managerial decision that I don't agree with. Now we're we're up we're up one run at that point, and we have uh, a runner on third with less than two outs, which leads me to believe is that we're trying to get that runner in. So, uh, and that runner is a huge runner because that gives us a second run, uh, an insurance run that against this lineup, we know how important that is. So to me, like while Chris Young doesn't have the, uh, he's not a slow guy. He's not the fastest guy in the world uh, at this point in his career. But you have a, a weapon uh, with Run Rico Run on your bench, and he's he's ready to come in. And this dude's probably one of the fastest guys in Major League Baseball right now, and and has great instincts. I'm pinch running. I don't care what you did. You brought in Chris Young for defensive purposes, which to me is is a little bit of a head scratcher because he's not the greatest outfielder. He's made some the terrible plays. He's got a noodle arm. Um, I want I want my my fastest guy out there at that point. We have expanded rosters with plenty of guys who can go out there and play the field, even if it's not Noel. Um, I want him on third base. And you know what? If he's running in that position, he's safe. But Tisa's not throwing him out. Yeah. So 
you know, I, I want Girardi to play for that that extra win or that extra run to to act like his guys are going to hit in that situation, give some confidence, and and you know make that substitution because that's why he's there. Otherwise, I know he got put in later in the game, uh, but he should have been used at that point, and it would have it would have really sealed the game. Uh, at, at that point, we wouldn't have had to gone into extras. Uh, granted, who knows what happens when we have a two run lead, but still. Um, you know, I think that that was a missed opportunity right there to, to end the game. Speaking of Noel, he needs to be on the one-game playoff roster. I agree. I mean, he's a weapon out there. He's so fast. And we saw the, the, one of my worst memories in baseball is Dave Roberts stealing that bag. Um, you know, I want to do that to other people. I want to make other fans feel that way. Because this kid is, first of all, he's blazing fast. But his instincts on the base path are really good. Uh, he gets tremendous jumps. Yeah. So not only does he's he the have the anti-Brett Gardner. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. He, he has those instincts. He, he reads pitchers moves extremely well. Um, I've been really impressed with the way he runs on the base path. Um, and it's obvious why he's up here. So he's up here for one reason. Let's use him. And I agree. You know, I think he should be on that roster because I think he is the weapon. And I know um, uh, we had an article about that and we can link up uh, about him using using him as a weapon and, and putting him on the postseason roster. So the bullpen for the Yankees, Batances and Miller were really iffy in this game. Batances has been bad, flat out bad the last couple, uh, I guess the last week. Um, he's not given up a ton of hits, but his command is totally off. He can't throw strikes anymore. Um, well, it seems like he's bad up until he, he's put up against the wall. Like he puts himself against the wall. He, he's doing it to himself. And well, then when he's know, there, you know, that's going to come to bite him in the ass eventually. No doubt. You cannot, you cannot keep doing that. But you know, he does keep, he, he's just, he's walking way too many guys and like consecutively, he's just walking guy after guy. Like I just, these guys are walking up with a bat on their shoulders waiting for him to throw a strike. Well, his fastball command is terrible. So yeah. hitters are sitting on the slider um, and his slider is better command, but he still isn't really sharp with it. I, I think you got to attribute this to overuse. Oh, it's fatigue. No doubt about it. I mean, this is, we, I, I keep referring to, to previous episodes where we talked about this, but you know, that was his problem as a starter. When he would, uh, he was a starter. He would his arm would get fatigued, and he he loses command. I mean, that was his big deal. Is he he did not have command, um, and now that he has pitched what seventy plus innings, he's he's no seventy plus appearances. I'm sorry, seventy plus. Oh, that's what I meant. Seventy plus appearances. You're seeing the uh, the fatigue in the arm, I think, and and that goes directly to his location of the fastball. So. Um, it absolutely attributes that they have. They absolutely have uh, everything to do with each other. So. Um, I don't but, know if you know, the move is to rest him the last you know four or five days of the season, if that helps or if that hurts a reliever. I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know what the situation there. I think you just gotta just just keep going with him, and, and hopefully he can uh, hopefully he can uh, just just get up um, into the situations because it seems like when he is uh, pinned against the wall in situations, he makes the pitches that he needs to do. So um, you know, I, I, again, do I still do I have, do I have a lack of confidence in in Batances? I still don't. I don't. I don't know why he's been walking everybody, but I, I still have confidence. In him. I mean, I still have confidence, but it's definitely not what it was two months ago. That's true. You're also looking at the other guys who are your other options, and uh, you know, give me him all day long. So, well, sure. Oh, you you mean you rather go to Batances than uh, Nick Rumbelow? Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Miller also blew the save. Um, I feel stupid complaining about Miller because it was only a second blown save of the season. You know, every Mariano blew saves. Heard that a billion times. Um, but this was still. I mean, I feel like both of his blown saves have come at the absolute worst time. Um, it didn't. It didn't hurt him though because the next inning, Greg Bird, unreal three run homer. Um, stat on Greg Bird. He has 10 home runs, um, you know, as of, I don't think he's hit one since then. So 10 home runs, and six of the 10 have put the Yankees ahead in the game. 
Yeah, he's been he's been tremendous. I saw a uh, a stat of September home runs, and he's I think it was like top three, top five in Major League Baseball. I mean, the dude's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, and he's doing it at big times. Absolutely, he's been hitting it at big times. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw the if you check it out, there was I mean, the Yankees are doing these spoof things all the time, but the Yes Network just ran a uh, the Yankees feud. I don't know if you saw this. But um, when you see them in street clothes and, and you see Greg Bird standing next to these other guys, he's a big dude. He's, I mean, I knew he was tall, but I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a kind of a hoss. Uh, the kid, he looks a lot bigger um, when, you, when you see them lined up. Um, so you see where, you know, he's just got natural power. Uh, he's a big guy. But, he's, yeah, got, he's been clutch. He's, he, all of his at-bats are pretty consistent, whether it's the first inning, the fifth inning, or the ninth inning. Uh, he's calm at the plate. He doesn't seem overmatched by the situation. Um, it, I mean, they've gotten everything they could have asked and 20 times more than I think they could have asked from him. Mm-hmm. So he's really made the loss of Teixeira not as bad as it could be. But the times we really miss Teixeira are defensively and yes. also against left-handed pitching. No, I agree. There's a few errors that Greg Bird has uh, not been able to save from your boy uh, that Teixeira probably would have saved. Um, but, I mean, look. I didn't. I didn't even expect to see Greg Bird this year at all. Like, I, he wasn't even on my radar to get put, to get called up. In all honesty, I know, and I'm not uh, complaining about him. I'm really not. It's no, just, I know. It's just uh, they missed Teixeira. Well, you have to see. I mean, you have to compare them directly, just because that's what you would be having if Teixeira uh, wasn't hurt. I mean, he would be the guy playing, obviously. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a direct comparison there. But, but you know, <laughs> from from Greg Bird. Um, and Garrett Jones, who would have been the guy? Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh God! Let's yeah. let's compare them because because he's just I mean he he made Garrett Jones look like a you know a high school ball player. So he's been he's been tremendous and and just giving us a lot of good, uh, good hope and good things to to look forward to in the future too. So absolutely. Um. So they so one to one in the series, and it looks like the Yankees might actually have a shot in the division. They go into Wednesday night, and it's not a do or die situation because it's. You know, they still have 12 games left in the season after it. But it's one of those games where if you don't win that game, it's going to be next to impossible to win the division. So they go in Wednesday night and Nova is pitching instead of Tanaka. So we're already in a hole because Nova's gotten crushed by Toronto this year. But he was, he pitched excellent. Maybe his best start of the season. Um, he did have to throw a lot of pitches, though. He was at 110 pitches through five and two-thirds innings. And Joe took him out of the game. Uh, at this point, it was a... A scoreless game, 0-0. There was one guy on when he took him out. Joe went to uh, James Pazos to face a lefty. Pazos gives up a base hit. Then he brings in Caleb Cotham to face a righty. Pilar, who's a Yankee killer. And he gives up a base hit, and it's one nothing Toronto. I think you and I disagree on this, but I definitely would have left Nova out there to get one more out. I know he was already at 110 pitches, and he's coming off Tommy John surgery and all that stuff. Well, you're telling me the difference between 110 and 115 pitches is going to mean his arm is going to fall off? I don't buy that. You know you already had a thin bullpen because Miller was not available from the night before. You have to extend Nova. He was pitching great. They were not touching him. It was a 0-0 game. I don't want to go to these trash middle relievers who we've seen suck time after time. We know that doesn't work. Hey, Joe, how about we try something different? Okay, so look... There's a couple scenarios here, and I just thought of something actually that I and, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly. But uh, the, it was a game we were at actually. You and I were sitting there watching this game in the bleachers. It was against Toronto. It was the um, Bronx Pinstripe outing, and I want to say it was the fifth inning in a zero-zero game. Hmm. And I want to say that Nova, uh, I want to say that Nova walked a guy. 
um, and then pitched to Justin Smoke. He might have walked two guys. Or, uh, well, it was bases loaded. Basically, okay, so there, were, there was a there, there, he was getting uh, hit a little bit or walked a couple guys, and Girardi left him in. Girardi left him in, and ju- uh, Smoke hit a shot and pretty much ended the game at that point. I want to say it was the fifth inning as well. So we've seen this scenario play out where we were on Girardi's uh, on Girardi's ass for not taking him out, and, um, and 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 you know Nova gave up the big hit after pitching very well up until that point. Can I have a rebuttal? Hold on, I'm not done yet. Uh, you you can, <laughs> but so. We're at a position now where I, I don't fully blame Joe for taking him out. Five and two thirds, he just walked the guy. He's like, okay, I got what I could out of him. He's losing it. Uh, he didn't like the way he, he looked against the, um, the, the walked batter. So fine, taking him out. I, I, I'm good with that. I honestly am. I think the problem I have is that bringing Pazos in and bringing in Cotham. I think at that point, that's when you just need to say, hey, look, we're in a position, 0-0 game. We need to keep this as a 0-0 game. Bring in uh, one of the guys that you trust. Wilson. Bring in Justin Bingo. Wilson. Bingo. Bring in Wilson and and get out of the inning, um, and then and then adjust and then move on. If you're going to go to one of these guys and you have to, you know, look, go to him when you must when there's nobody else out there um, at, at that point. But but do everything you can to keep it a zero zero game at that point. So I don't have a problem with him taking out a no, uh, taking out Nova because I think if Nova was kept in and uh, there was a home run, we'd be crushing Girardi right now. So uh, I just I think I have an issue with who he went to at that point. You hit it on the head because and. Back to the situation you mentioned back in August. That's, I mean, that's a good point. But at that point in the season, the bullpen for the Yankees didn't suck. They had Wilson and Shreve who were both pitching well that he could have gone to in the sixth inning to face the lefty smoke. He could have gone to Wilson in the sixth inning in a, a very crucial game and a very crucial time in that game to get him out. After the game, Girardi said that he was waiting to use Wilson and Betances in the eighth and ninth inning. <laughs> So he's he's managing for a situation that doesn't exist yet, which he won't even get to if he doesn't get out of the sixth inning. You have to use your brain, Girardi. You have to look at the situation in front of you and realize this is an important time in the game. I'm not bringing in James Pazos and Caleb Cotham. They suck. You and have that's to use the, that's your the good big guys. issue is is who you bring in because you know like I understand that if we had won this game we would have been uh, within a game and a half of the division at that point but there's still a week left in the game or a week plus left in the season and I'm not trying to 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 you know lengthen Nova, Nova too much past 110 pitches cuz he hasn't done it throughout the season to to put him in a position where he hasn't been um I'm not thinking that like hey we're a game and a half out we're going to win the division to me it's not a must it's not a must even if we win the game it doesn't doesn't say that we're going to win the division or I mean I understand we have a better shot but at that point, I'm not risking health. So, you know, look, the decision to me uh, that I disagree with is not pulling Nova is, is who he brought in. Yeah. And <clears throat> I know some people are saying, well, who would you want him to use? Look at who's available in the bullpen. I mean, that's first of all, that's you got to blame Cashman for that, for putting garbage out in the bullpen. But you also have to blame Girardi for keep for consistently using these guys who we've seen time after time fail. You I mean, how does that Albert Einstein quote go? You know, insanity is is trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. How many times are you going to throw Rumbelo, Cotham, Mitchell, and Pazos out there and Bailey out there and expect them to succeed when you've seen them fail every time? No, I get it. I mean, that, that should have been a much higher priority is going out and getting a another arm, a right-handed arm um, to, to bolster this pen. But, you know, the, the one thing that, that – 
we're not talking about as well as the, you know, the injuries in the starting rotation that has taken Adam Warren out of the bullpen, put him into the, the, the starting rotation, um, and taking that arm that he did trust, that he did believe in, um, out. And, and the fact that, you know, guys are just not pitching. I mean, Jason Shreve has, has been a, a shell of himself in the second half or even the last month and a half. That's actually a huge, huge uh, point is how bad Chase and Shreve has been in the second half. Um, but that's kills, why Girardi has to go to these guys because he's not. He, there's nobody there to, for him to go. The fact that Ch- you're basically taking two guys out, you're taking Shreve, who was who was so uh, so dependable uh, the majority of the season, and then Warren, who was you know an integral part of that bullpen, especially the right-handed pitching. Um, you're taking them out. Girardi's uh, again. You know, uh, as much as I disagree with a lot of the things that Girardi does, you know. In this situation, I mean, his his hands are kind of tied. Well, that's he why he has to go with some guys. But that's why you either bring in Wilson or you leave Nova. Those are your, guess, two, be- those are your point, two best pitchers at that point to get out. I know, of and I understand at that point you have to play for the zero zero game. But if that game is zero zero, the same situation is going to happen where he's going to have to bring in Cotham or Rumbelow or or whoever. Well, at least I'd rather have them come in with a clean inning. I guess, but then you'd be crushing him for not bringing Wilson out uh, again in the eighth inning or the, the seventh inning, whatever it was. So, hey, whose side are you on? I, I, <laughs> I get it. There's just, there's, I, I, I kind of feel for him with the way how how disappointing this middle relief has been this second half. I mean, they're just not pitching well either. And, and you know, at the end of the day, these guys got to pitch. And when Jason Shreve is not pitching well, and and when Adam Warren's not there because you know he was handcuffed and had to put him into the the rotation. You know, there's there's only so many things that you can do. There's only so many guys that Girardi can go to at that point. So, you know, look, I, I don't feel for what he's got to deal with uh, on on the in the in the bullpen right now. All right. So then they headed home, last home stand of the season, to face the White Sox for four games. Um, hey, what do you know? Ref Snyder's in the starting lineup uh, against the lefty. Hey, kid, thanks for sitting on the bench for a month. Now go out and face Chris Sale. Um, real nice of Girardi for Ref Snyder. But hey, he got a hit. So uh, and he hit the whole weekend. So love to see that. Um, let's try and get through this White Sox series fast, but I do want to mention another thing about Girardi's management in this Thursday game. Pineda started, uh, he's at six innings, 89 pitches, and Girardi pulls him. I don't know why he pulls him, because if, if there's one guy in the rotation right now you can extend, it's Pineda. I mean, at least let him get to 100 pitches. Um, the last Yankee starter to get to seven innings or more was Tanaka, and that happened on September 8th. So we're looking at almost a month with no starters going seven innings or more. I mean, your bullpen cannot succeed in that situation. So this is an important stat to me, because this is, I think, a stat that kept Evaldi off of your top five. Because to <laughs> me, if Evaldi is pitching well, even in, you know, and he's, he's, he's got the, the, you know, he's in a position to go deep, Joe's going to take him out anyway. So what you said, you saw the stat, you're like, oh, it's not really Evaldi's fault. He's, he's being taken out, so that's why he's not on my top five. Am I, am I right? Evaldi's not even on my top ten hated Yankee list. <laughs> I know I'm just messing around, but yeah, that's a that is a, a very telling stat, uh, you know. And, and this is the second time in a row that Pineda has been pulled out. Maybe not in a row. Maybe it was the no, third, it was the he, he got was the last out one. The Mets at 88 pitches. Okay, so it was the last one. And then this time, Pineda's looking at him like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, I don't understand why he's pulling him out at that point. I mean, it, it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's not even stretching him. It's 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 you're taking him out early is what's happening. Um, so yeah, I the. You got to get him to at least 100 pitches. You know, get him, uh, get him some length because, uh, you know, this is something that we've we've again touched on. Girardi just keeps doing this. When you're throwing a guy 90 90 pitches, and then in the playoffs when you want him to go to 110, when you need him to go 110 because your bullpen's fried, well, he's tired now. He's tired because he hasn't done it. He hasn't been stretched out to you know to throw 20 more pitches. And um, you know when he's when he's over 100, he may be leaving that 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 
that hanging slider that gets uh, that gets hit out for a three run shot that kills us in the game. So, you know, I, I don't agree with it. Um, there's no reason for I don't know who would agree with that. Honestly, uh, keep him in the game, especially because you haven't had a day off in a while and your pen is fried. Uh, seventh inning situation. Wilson pitched, got the first two outs, um, and he leaves Wilson in to face Jose Abreu, who's a right-handed hitter. I think would we would all agree is the White Sox best hitter, correct? Yes. So you don't leave Wilson in to face the righty. Maybe you bring in uh, Batances to get the tough righty out. Uh, yeah. I think that might be an option, but no, he didn't do it. He left Wilson in to face Abreu, um, and he gave up a base hit. Now Melky's up. Uh, Melky's a switch hitter. Melky's OPS against, uh, or as a left-handed hitter, Melky's OPS is 143 points higher than it is from the right side. And you're in Yankee Stadium where there's a short porch and right. So if you're a manager, would you want to keep Melky batting right or would you want to bring in a righty to have him bat left? No doubt about it. Well, he takes Wilson out and brings in Batances to turn Melky around to the right side. Uh, he ended up walking to the left side. To the left side. Batances ended up walking him, which we've seen. Uh, he ended up walking in a run, uh, but he did get out of the inning and did not give up the lead. But it's just that right there, those three batters are so crucial, and he couldn't have screwed it up anymore. I'm sitting on the couch in my apartment, and I know not to do that. Girardi's got a binder full of shit. He doesn't know he can't do that? I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's, I, I was, I was on, I was on Twitter, just you know, going, going nuts at that point. Uh, it didn't make any sense, but I mean, again, I, I have given up understanding his move. So, well, he's going to do something in the one game playoff, and he's going to totally screw it up. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we need to score some runs. He's going to have a Jets moment in the. Oh playoff. God, get over that! I don't, don't put the Jets and the Yankees in the same posi- in the same sentence, please. That's the, I keep them; they're separate in my lives. Totally separate in my life. All right. God, thank God I have the Yankees. A couple more takeaways from the last three games of this series. Uh, number one is that Ref Snyder looked really good and really good at the plate. He definitely needs more work in the field, but I think that'll come with time. This is only his second professional season as a second baseman. So he's going to be improving, um, but his at-bats look professional. Uh, kind of makes me wonder where they would be um, if he played the whole second half at second base. And I, I just saw a note on this, actually, um, that that we'll have to dive into on, on Bronx Pinstripes a little bit more. But I saw that Stephen Drew, one of the big reasons he wasn't playing is because he's experiencing dizziness. Um, I, so I don't know what, you know, he's got like some vertigo thing like Jason Day had on the PGA Tour. I don't know what's going on there. Um, that was new to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. and I didn't know that was a reason. But apparently that's one of the reasons why he's not playing as well. So that's why our boy Refsliner has gotten, uh, gotten some go out there at second base. But at least he's proved the fact that, one, he could play second base. Uh, granted, he's not a gold glove second baseman by any stretch of the imagination. But he's athletic enough to make a lot of plays. Adequate. Um, he's been adequate. Absolutely, and and to me, he just gives a hell of a lot more hope at the at the plate. He's a better better hitter, um, and uh, he, he's not he, an automatic he, out. <laughs> he produces some firepower down there too. I mean, he's just you know li- he hits line drives. He has good at bats. He's got some speed. So I don't know. I, I just have more confidence about down there. I said this on Twitter. I was like, you know, watching Didi and and Ref Snyder at the bottom just gives me hope. Like I like seeing those two paired together at the bottom of the lineup. I mean, it's almost like the the havoc before the havoc. Uh, the way that Didi's been been swinging the bat. Uh, and they both have some good speed. So, you know, I, I like that Ref Snyder, Didi, um, uh, you know, leading into Ellsbury Gardner. Um, Ackley, though, will be the second baseman for the one-game playoff. 
he has to be. He's been hitting the ball, uh, you know, tremendously. So yeah, he's got to be the guy. Um, also, over the weekend, the Yankees bullpen set a single season record for most strikeouts. Um, good job, you know. The bullpen, for the most part, has been very good. Um, they've got a lot of nasty guys out there. But don't the fool yourself. The back end. Let's don't mean, fool yourself. Just, this is a, yeah. It's two different bullpens. Yeah. Well, this is a volume thing. It is. You know, Jardy's been throwing guys out there since the use of the Florida days. Um, he's been he's been throwing a whole bunch of guys out there for a lot of innings. So uh, this is what he does. You know, he 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 tinkers and uh, with his bullpen. Uh, it's just his managerial style. That's what he does. So yes, it's a lot of guys going out there. All right. So the Yankees got the three. Uh, they won three out of four against the White Sox. Did what they needed to do against a bad White Sox team. Now they got a bad Red Sox team coming in for four games, um, and then they go to Baltimore, and they 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 gear up for the wild card game. The Yankees. They they got a win their games this week and then rest as we mentioned while everyone else is fighting it out to the death next weekend yes let's get in there let's clinch let's we need they need to really get on uh on track offensively and i think that needs to be the focus is really getting this offense on track um and and going in with a little bit of uh of of head head smoke going into the uh into the playoffs um get that get that game lock it in in the bronx so we can have uh the home field um, and then, and then, yeah, man, let's just, you know, let's, let's try to go in with some confidence. So one thing to keep an eye out for is, uh, you know, Scott and I will be doing our regular podcast every Monday, but we also got a preview uh, of the NL playoffs with a Cubs podcast, IVNV. Um, and we want to do that right before the wild card games, um, because the Cubs are going to be playing in the wild card game. Hopefully the Yankees are going to be playing in the wild card game. So we're going to get something going with those guys. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, they they do a really good job over there, and the Cubs are having a good season. And to tell you the truth, we've been so immersed in the American League and the Yankees that uh, I've probably missed a whole bunch of stuff what's going on in the NL. And I think it'll just be, uh, you know, I, I think everybody listening to this podcast and and both Andrew um, and I are are big baseball fans. So um, I think it'll be cool to uh, do some preview of what's what's going on over there and uh, to see how those uh, the NL playoffs are going to be panning out and you know who's coming in hot and all that stuff. So. Um, uh, Corey from Ivy Envy uh, and maybe one of his guys is also going to be coming on. So that'll be that'll be fun to uh, to get a different perspective. I was watching some of that Sunday night game last night between the Pirates and the Cubs, and if those are two of the teams, that, the two teams in the in the wild card game, that's going to be one hell of a game. Well, you're seeing three teams in the in the NL Central, right? That are going to be coming out the uh, the Cardinals, the the Cubs, and the Pirates, and they're all three are good teams. They might they're... be the three best teams in baseball. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, shoot, the Mets are playing some good baseball right now too. And you know what? I'm going to give it up to to the to our our cross town, uh, our cross town neighbor. You know, good good job, New York Mets. These guys came in. Uh, they overtook the the Nationals. They held on to it. They didn't blow uh, a lead where every Met fan was, <laughs> they was didn't scared blow of the lead. I swear to God, good job, to Mets. You didn't blow it. They're all petrified of losing that lead. I'm like, do you, are, you, are you guys seeing the same team? Like your pitching is filthy right now. They're not going to blow that lead. But just as Mets fans, they're pro- they're like Jets fans. They expect the worst. So, but you know, cheers. Good good for you guys. Uh, they deserve it. They're playing some good baseball. So you know, I- I'm not a Yankee fan who who hates on the Mets at all. Like I I hope they do well. To tell you the truth, and I hope we have a Subway Series at the end of the day. It'd be fun. I don't hope the Mets do well. Yeah, because you you have hate in your heart. <laughs> all right. So one more week to go. We got to get the bats going. Prepare for this wild card game, and it should be fun. Should be awesome baseball over the next couple weeks. I'm really looking forward to it, and we'll catch you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, 
we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.